Well, as I've mentioned already, um, I would I would title this message "Honoring Our Leadership." Uh, very straightforward and direct uh, title for for today's passage. But the context of our study this morning, as you will see in First Thessalonians five, um, is um, I, I've I've somewhat turned here arbitrarily and purposefully uh, because here towards the end of this letter, Paul is issuing a whole series of practical instructions to the church of Thessalonica. And in the verses that we read, you, you can see that his, uh, the instruction that he has given is concerning what we might refer to as the, the tone that is represented in the fellowship congregation in Thessalonica. If, if you went there and you got a sense of it, you, you got a feel of the place, if you said, what is the, what is the pulse of Thessalonica? Where are they? Then... Um, then Paul is, is, is encouraging them to make sure that it is marked by three things. It is marked by three things. Now, I didn't provide you with a handout this morning, so you're going to have to listen well and, and take a few notes, okay? Um, it is marked by three things, and that, that, that pulse would be joyful, it would be prayerful, and it would be thankful, it would be joyful, it would be prayerful, and it would be thankful. Now, friends, if you were to evaluate your own lives, is, is that the pulse of your life? Is that the pulse of, of your everyday life? Is it joyful, is it prayerful, and is it thankful? So that you couldn't possibly go there to Thessalonica without sensing something of joy that was represented in the people, something of their gratitude to God for His goodness, and something of their dependence upon God in their prayer meetings. In verse 14 and 15, he, he has instructions concerning the way that the fellowship would relate to one another, and so that the idle would be warned, and the timid would be encouraged, the, the weak would be helped, and everybody would be patient with each other, and they wouldn't be holding vendettas and paying back wrong for wrong. And next week, we're, we'll be getting to that uh, this this context, this this part of the text next week. Well, it's no surprise then that the outset of those two exhortations comes this instruction regarding the leadership and the response to leadership in the church family. Indeed, when you when you read First Thessalonians five and you realize how many times he uses the word brothers, uh, which might in most occasions be translated brothers and sisters, it's it's inclusive you realize that he does regard God's people as family. We are a family in the church. And it is one of the many metaphors in the New Testament of what it means to be part of God's people, that to be made members of God's family is to become part of the community that is far larger than ourselves, that extends beyond the boundaries of a local congregation, that indeed reaches throughout the entire world. And it is represented both on earth and in heaven. Those who have heard the word of truth, those who have responded, and those who have been added to those whom Christ has saved. Now friends, that is, that is the, uh, the church. That is the fellowship. We are a family. When I speak to you, I don't speak to you as just an acquaintance. You know, that, the, the, the natural man desires for this. The natural man desires for fellowship. That's why we have 
rotary clubs and, and moose lodges and all these other things. You have people that want to get together, men that go golfing together, women that go shopping together. Sorry, I'm being stereotypical, but maybe women like to go golfing. I don't know. I'm sure they do. But um, all that to say is that we enjoy being with one another, and, and it is a natural desire to get together. Now, there's a very big difference between the fellowship that's going on between some of those individuals and where we are today. This is not the Moose Lodge. This is not the Rotary Club. This is not some other um, place where we put hats on our heads and do dances, okay? Um, This is a different type of fellowship, and if you do that, please don't do it in public. All right. But enough of that. We desire fellowship. We desire to be with one another and to care for one another. That's why Pastor Brody is actually giving us those exhortations that he's been giving the past couple of weeks. Why you have a a member's um, book. Uh, I'm I'm butchering what that is called. A uh, directory. Thank you. Yes. Yeah, I'm not good with words. So, no. A directory. Uh, a directory so that you can open that and you can see who is part of this fellowship, who is part of this congregation, a part of this class. How can I pray for them? You get to know one another. We're not just acquaintances. We don't just speak to one another as if, oh, this is the first time that I've ever met. And even if you are meeting someone for the first time, there is something different if you know that this is a brother or sister in Christ. And I've experienced this traveling to other parts of the world. I know that my brother Doug back here can attest to that. You go to the middle, the heart of Africa, and you meet believers in the one true God in Jesus Christ, and it's as if you grew up together, and you could spend time talking to them and fellowshipping with them, sharing your faith and what you love and what you care for, yet you are so different in so many other ways. Golf is not what brings you together. Making uh, sewing is not what brings you together. Not that those things are bad. Don't take me as saying that. But it is a fellowship that is brought and tendered by your relationship with the one true God, with Jesus our Lord. So those who have heard the word of truth, those who have responded, and those who have been added to those who Christ has saved, these are the people of the fellowship, and these are the circumstances at hand. There may be specific circumstances that are in Paul's mind that he doesn't mention as to why it is that he urges respect for leadership, but it is also, but also is possible that he is simply reflecting the essential importance of respect for leadership in all and every circumstance. One man has said that no army can function without it. No orchestra can function without it. No sports team can function without it. That's leadership. No nuclear family can get on without it. And no church family can possibly hope to make progress if they disregard what the Bible has to say concerning these things, these things regarding leadership. So now, quite simply this morning, I want us to consider, first of all, the the activity of the leaders and then the attitude of the members. Three things that are urged upon the leaders, and three things that are urged upon the members. First, the activity of the leaders. The activity of the leaders. 
these individuals who are working hard, who are over you in the Lord and who admonish you. In other words, these are the elders or the pastors of the church. Now, we do well, perhaps, to remind ourselves that that Luke records for us in Acts 17 the arrival of Paul in Thessalonica in the first instance. And indeed, if you, if you wanted to turn to it, I'm, I'm just going to quote it or talk about it. You might want your eyes to scan it. But in Acts 17.1, we, we have the record of Paul, along with Silas, arriving in Thessalonica. And Luke tells us in Acts 17.2 that, that as his custom was, Paul went into the synagogue and on the third Sabbath days, he reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and proving that the Christ had to suffer and to rise from the dead speaking to these Jewish people concerning the Messiah. And then once he has shown from the Old Testament scriptures that Christ is not, the, not only a king and a prophet, but also a suffering servant, he then told them, this Jesus I am proclaiming to you is none other than the Christ, the Messiah. And as a result of that, Luke tells us in verse 4, some of the Jews were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas and as did a large number of God-fearing Greeks, and not a, a few prominent women. And that is the record of the establishing of the church in Thessalonica. Now, some 50 years have elapsed. We're in the middle of the first century, and by this time, eldership, leadership, has been established in these congregations. And, and if you read Acts carefully, you will discover that one of the things that Paul and his colleagues did after they had been establishing the church was often to backtrack, to come around a second time and and to ensure the proper eldership was put in place. In other words, he's going to check on and see what the pulse is like in the place that he established or that God had established there with that leadership. For example, when he writes in Titus, he says to Titus, the reason I left you in Crete, Titus 1.5, and following, was to straighten out all the things that still had to be done and to appoint elders to, so that the leadership might be in place in order that God's people might function properly. And this you find by reading all the way through the New Testament and you will discover that the eldership of the church comprises some who receive rumination, uh, remuneration, Yeah, I can say that, I promise. And, yeah, they get paid, okay? That's what I'm saying. (laughs) They get paid, and others who don't. And that is part of the pattern here at Timberlake Baptist. We have one elder here who is a retired teacher, Brother Don Bowman, and one who is an engineer, um, Brother uh, Elder Rich Brown. And they go about their business every day, They are also bearing the burdens of prayer and teaching and responding to people's pastoral concerns. Man, uh, I could spend a lot of time right now just giving praise and honor to God for these faithful, two faithful men and what they do week in and week out for our church. Others have been set free from the daily labors in that respect in order that they might be those who labor or who work in the word and in doctrine. In other words, they, Don and Rich, are not paid to preach, but the others are paid in order that they might preach and in order that they may be diligent in understanding 
the Bible and sharing it with others. And you find that distinction in 1 Timothy 5.17. Now the New Testament pattern, you can examine this and ensure that what I'm saying is accurate. The New Testament pattern is clearly one in which Jesus, the chief shepherd, has delegated to under-shepherds, to pastors and to elders, the, the responsibility of caring for the flock which, is, which he has purchased with his own blood. It is to these individuals that the responsibility of the congregation is entrusted. In other words, in this respect, such men are responsible for the congregation, not to the congregation. That is the phraseology, that they are over you in the Lord because they are responsible for you. They will give an account for you. Now, don't misunderstand this. At one level, all of us are responsible to one another under Christ. That's what Pastor Brody was teaching last week. After all, we, uh, the ground has been said that it is flat at the cross. We come as male and female, as bond and slave, as from different backgrounds, and we share together the wonder of God's grace. And we are brothers and sisters in Christ. And as a result, we exhort one another and we encourage one another. So while all of us are responsible to Jesus, not all of us are made responsible for others who are in Jesus. And that is the responsibility of eldership or of pastoring in the local congregation, that those of us who've been entrusted in this local fellowship with the responsibility to bear the burden enjoy the privilege of recognizing that we look after God's people as men. This is Hebrews thirteen seventeen. Who what? Must give an account. We will give an account, Hebrews thirteen seventeen. We are accountable one day to Christ when we face him. We are accountable every day to the Bible. And that all of the exercise of leadership and all the encouragements that may come from leadership to the congregation must be grounded in and governed by, framed by, sustained by the authority and the truth of the Bible. Any authority that is given to the leaders of the church is an authority on the basis of personality. It is not an authority on the basis of credentials. It is only the authority of Scripture. Sorry, it is not an authority on the basis of personality. I think I said the opposite there. Let me clarify that. Come to the Scriptures and clarify that. Any authority that is given to leaders is not substantiated by their personality or by their credentials. It is only the authority of Scripture itself. And that is why... There can be nothing that is high-minded or heavy-handed or autocratic when it comes to leadership in the church. With that said, notice briefly the, the three exhortations that are given here. We ask you, brothers, to respect those who work hard among you. And what does the leadership do? Well, first of all, the leadership works hard. It's a little reminder. That it's, it's a nudge in the ribs from the wife. I think to the leaders in Thessalonica, after all, the letter would be read out loud and the elders in the church would be sitting and listening to it as it was read out. And one of the elders' wives, I'm sure, would nudge him and say, see, you're supposed to be working very hard here. No, she wouldn't do that because those are honorable women. 
but this is not a picnic. And you've come to this place not to have a picnic. This is not a leisure time pursuit. This is supposed to be weary. It is tireless, the work of being an elder or a pastor. It is supposed to weary you. And the word here for labor or for, for work hard is, is a word that is variously used in the New Testament by Paul. And for example, he uses it to refer to his own tent making in uh, chapter 2, verse 9. And he uses it to refer to a work of a farmer. In 2 Timothy 2.6, he uses it to refer to the preaching and the teaching ministry in 1 Timothy 5.17. In other words, he is reminding both the people and the leaders that the exercise of pastoral ministry is work. If it is going to be executed properly and effectively, if it is, it is going to be demanding... It is demanding to take seriously the responsibilities to be prepared to lead God's people, to feed God's people, to warn God's people, to watch over God's people. All of that is work. It is labor. And despite the fact that it is quite common to suggest that the minister or the pastor works only one day a week, nevertheless, such a notion cannot be found in the pages of the New Testament and ought not to be found as a result of spending time certainly with any one of us here at TBC. Friends, this is only thought about because it is unfortunately true in some circumstances, or it has been in the past, not here at TBC, though. Secondly, who are over you in the Lord? Who work hard and who are over you in the Lord? In other words, they exercise leadership. They, they do so as men who are over others. But they are under Christ, and it is fact that they are under Christ to give an account that gives them the characteristic of leadership. Because really good leadership is not about authority. Did you hear that? Really good leadership is not about authority. Now, we all know that those, you all know those teachers that you might have had in the past, or maybe you are one of these teachers, where all they have to do is give a certain look, or raise their eyebrows to gain the attention of the entire class. I see some of you nodding. Yes, I've had that teacher before. This teacher would never have to raise her voice. We often instruct parents that this is also the desired effect that they have upon their children, that their exercise of leadership was not about authority or credentials. It was about humility. It was not about power It was not about any of these other things. It was actually about gentleness. And when you read this phraseology here in the the text, you read it wrong. When we read it, we read it wrong if we take the phrase, who are over you in the Lord, somehow in a way that, that it is regarding as autocratic, as authoritative, as domineering power over someone. Authentic servant leadership demands management. You cannot lead without managing things. Ultimately, a pastor is not a manager, but a pastor must know how to manage. An elder is not called to read management consultant books, but an elder will do well to read management consultant books. Why? Because you have to manage things. Where are the chairs going to go? How many chairs do we need? Who is meeting in this room next week? 
Where are people entering and exiting the building? Do we have a men's bathroom and a women's bathroom, or do we stick one outside with a sign on it? All of these things are things that we have to consider as leaders of our church. All of these things are practical details as it relates to the life of the congregation. And somebody has to manage this stuff in some way and to manage your family just like you manage your family. And if you don't manage your family, it's chaos. And of course, this mismanagement of family life is, is there for us all to see, and not least of all at the present. In present time, you might think of young mothers or young fathers despising the instruction of the Bible concerning what it means to have respect for authority and so on. They're, they're in the process of trying to carve out an entirely new landscape for themselves, and it is quite amazing to watch it, isn't it? I was just in the store yesterday, and I was at the deli trying to get some meat, and, um, and uh, some lady walked up, and, and the lady was carving some meat for the cooler, and the lady just says, hey, hey, hey. And finally, the lady, the, the deli lady turned around and said, yes, can I help you? And she said, where's the banana pudding? Well, it's important, okay. <laughs> you know? And and uh, and the the lady very graciously said, uh, "If we have it, it's going to be over in this area right here." And the woman just, as if she wanted the lady to go and get the banana pudding and put it in her hands, or bake her a fresh one. I don't know. And this woman, very gracious, very gentle, and the lady left. I guess got her banana pudding. And the woman took a moment to collect herself. She said, I'm sorry. She said, what's happened to respect today? <laughs> and I said, you're exactly right. And I said, I'm so sorry that happened to you. But how often does that happen? When are, what we're trying to do, we're, this woman was not trying to gain respect by authority. She was not saying, hey, whoa, who are you talking to? I'm the deli lady. You know, like I, you know, you're not going to get anything from here unless you go through me. So you can forget that. You know, she's not having some autocratic, some some authoritarian drive or trip. This happens in families. This happens in leadership. And it's why the New Testament is constant, constantly a correlation from the lesser to the greater, to the management of those who are under our care, to the framework of interpersonal relationships in the nuclear family to the exercise of those responsibilities in the framework of the church. The greatest joys in physical parenting are not in issuing orders, but in establishing the parameters so that our children might grow up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. The same is true in terms of, if you like, spiritual parenting or fatherhood or leadership within the church. Notice that you are to recognize that this is in the Lord, who are over you in the Lord. That's, that's one of the unique things that the church, uh, about the church, isn't it? That you have people in the church family who, in every other dimension of life, may well be over the eldership in terms of managerial skills, in terms of intellect, in terms of financial acumen, but this over you is in the Lord In other words, it is within the framework of Christian relationships. It is as it it relates to the matters of spiritual life. 
Friends, many of you could outdo me in the intellect. Many of you could outdo me in managerial skills. That's why I'm so thankful for Debbie Kibler. She keeps me on task, and it's a job. My goodness. (laughs) Poor lady. Man, she's going to have a bazillion crowns in heaven because of Matt. Okay, and my wife. Yeah, she will as well. But friends, you could outdo that, but there is still a spiritual leadership that must take control, that I must have leadership, that Pastor Brody, that Pastor Farrell, even though those men could run circles around many of us in these areas as well. But thirdly, those who admonish you, I have to finish. Those who admonish you, who work hard among you, who are over you in the Lord and who admonish you in other words, who seek to keep you on the path. That's, that's really what it means to admonish. There's, there's nothing negative in the word except the warning aspect of it. Don't go there, is, is what, what we're saying. Don't do that. Don't even go there. That's too close to the edge. I'm protecting you. I'm a gentle parent trying to guide you along the way. Nope, nope, stay on the sidewalk. No, no, stay on this path. Because I know the potential harms that that can bring if you get steer the wrong way. There's nothing negative here. Don't listen to this person. They'll, they'll tell you the wrong things. Don't, don't waste your time researching that or reading that book or listening to that pastor. It would be best if you steer clear of this individual because... That is only going to spend your wills in the further um, uh, strengthening and managing even of your own knowledge. Well, the same thing, again, as a parent. We delight to see your children walking in the truth. Hence, there is hard work. Hence, there is leadership. Hence, there is admonishment. Paul gives us the flavor of what kind of admonishment when he describes his relationship with Ephesian elders in Acts chapter 20. He says, I never failed night and day to admonish every one of you with tears in my eyes. In other words, it's, it's not heavy-handedness. It's, it's, it's brotherliness. It's big brotherliness. It's, it's a brother caring for his smaller brother for for, for his younger brother or for his sisters who is exercising the responsibility for leadership tenderly and as a result of unwilling to shame the person firmly and as a result unwilling to compromise with error or with danger, tender enough so as not to shame those who are under our care, firm enough so as not to allow those under our care to wander into bypath meadow if you know the story. And as in family relationships, so in the church, getting that balance is absolutely crucial because to go on one side is to become heavy-handed and to break the spirit of our child. To go on the other side is to become so lax as to deprive our children of the very benefits that they require for wholeness. It is so hard and difficult and labor to sit in the office with a couple or with an individual a young man, and to to see them going down the path of sin. And to beg and plead with them, don't continue down that way. 
Put up the guards. Don't go down into the gutter. Honor your leaders. I have respect for those that shepherd gently. Next week, we'll look at the, the attitude of the members, the, the response of those who are under the leadership, who submit to, who listen to, who, who hear the, the warnings, who, who desire, this man is, is my father. This man is a shepherd of mine. And he walks alongside me all the way. We must remain faithful. Therefore, let us, let us hold on. It's a privilege this morning, church family, to, to come to this instruction regarding the activity of leadership and the attitude of membership. As I said, we'll, we'll look at the attitude of membership next week. But, but knowing that in the mercy and the goodness of God, we do not address it to correct a problem as much as to continue a pattern. But we must never rest. We must never take these things for granted. We must always be aware that we're engaged in spiritual warfare, that that the evil one is a roaring lion seeking those whom he may devour. He is an expert in infiltration. He is masterful, masterfully sowing seeds of deceit and bitterness and disgruntlement. Therefore, let us not waver. Let us, let us hold fast. Let us hold on to what we have. Let us give honor to those who are shepherding us along the way. Heed their instruction. Let us affirm constantly that Christ is the only foundation of the church. Let us remind ourselves entirely that while one may plant and another may water, we may be thankful for this individual or for that. Ultimately, it is only God who makes things grow. And therefore, it is to him that we will constantly turn as we give thanks for the past and we trust him for the future. Let us pray. Father, thank you for the faithful examples that you have given to each one of us here at TBC. We thank you for Pastor Farrell and Pastor Brody, Pastor Abbott, Pastor Brown, Pastor Bowman, for these elders that that oversee and lead us faithfully week in and week out, that guard and guide our hearts those that that give attention and time and labor to the word, but they also, they're mixed in with the flock. They're dealing with their own trials and their own struggles. Thank you so much for their faithfulness uh, to strive to build up the body and encourage them down the path, to lead them out of harm's way, to keep them from the enemy that is roaring as a prowling lion. We pray that you would guard them and protect them. Even in this moment, we ask in Christ's name. Amen.